Hey, everybody. <laughs> it's kind of crazy because, uh, you know, Matt, he went through really big lengths to, to try to get me up here to preach. He could have just asked, you know. He didn't have to go in the hospital. But, I mean, I guess he wanted me up here that badly. <laughs> well, before I start, a little bit about me, just, just so that some, some of you that don't know me well, you can kind of get caught up to speed. My name, again, is Charlie Miller, and I'm a ministry intern here. I grew up on a farm in Ohio, on an orchard farm near Cleveland, Ohio. And I've been here um, and went on a lake for six years now. It's quite a long time. Um, <clears throat> I actually started coming to Mission Point basically right after I got into town for Grace College when I start, went to college. And I'll tell you, I want to encourage you college students who are out there. I'm so thankful for the ways you're plugging in because I can tell you this. When I plugged in, it was one of the best investments I ever made. And it was, it was incredible. It was one of the best things that happened to me. Not the best thing, I will say, the best thing goes to my wife, Rachel. She can't be here today. She's actually traveling back from Pennsylvania. But man, she's incredible. She's the best thing that's ever happened to me. So anyways, I love you, Rachel. Sorry I couldn't be here. Now, as Matt said, I'm going to be continuing our discussion with the Jesus uncensored series. Now my message is going to kind of take a step back and plug in a little bit into kind of what Matt was talking about a couple weeks ago, about the law, about how we relate to that and how we're justified and how God views us as holy and blameless because of what Jesus did. Not because of what we did, because of what Jesus did. So I just kind of want to catch you up to speed that yeah, this does plug in, but that's how it plugs in. And guys, sometimes I hate talking. Okay, okay, maybe not talking itself, but there are some things I absolutely hate to talk about. I mean, I can't be the only one. Okay, I, I'm sure if I gave you a second to think about what is the one political, maybe religious, maybe whatever it is that you just absolutely hope no one ever asks you about again. Like, I just don't want to go there. I don't really want to talk about that. I don't want to look at another Facebook post about it. My Twitter's just going off the charts. I, I just can't stand this specific topic. We all have those things. It's like, I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. It's like, la, 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 I'm not listening. I've heard it way too much. I'm just not going to deal with this. Well, guess what? Today we're going to take the opportunity to talk about one of those topics. It's your lucky day. And then the reason is because it's something that we have shied away from, I think, for far too long. And it's so important. It's a topic that has become a dirty word in our Christian circles. And non-Christian circles alike. Both sides are kind of like, I'm not dealing with this. It's a concept that isn't talked about much. Because we don't think it's important. So now, drum roll please. Today we're going to talk about legalism. Woo! Let's go! All right. I don't even know what that means. Nobody knows what it means. But it gets the people going. I know. I lost about half of you guys already. Like, come on, Chuck. Legalism? Really? Pick anything else. Anything else. This guy's a loon. I know what you're doing. Okay, finish your conversation. This guy's crazy. I'm hungry. You want to go to Bob Evans or American Table today? I'll get the kids. You grab the coffee. I think there's probably some out there. We'll sneak out. You won't even notice. 
I'll give you the chance. Go ahead. No, I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, that's us. We hear legalism and we just run for the hills. We love to shy away from the discussion that includes legalism. Because some of us, we don't even know what that means. Legalism? What the heck? I've heard about that. I, I have no idea how that applies or where I fit in that. And it's just kind of this weird, you know, thing we can't really wrap our minds around. And then the other side, the rest of us are like, legalism, come on. Yeah, they used to struggle with that in the 60s, but we don't struggle with that today. You know, yeah, I get it. It's that old problem, you know, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. Don't play cards. Don't go to movies. Don't dance. I have no problem with that nowadays. I learned how to play Texas Hold'em in Sunday school. Next week, our church is having a hoedown. And guys, I went to the movie It with my pastor. Well, it's obvious we don't struggle with that. Okay, I didn't go to It with my pastor. Just being a little dramatic, but isn't that us, though? It's like, this doesn't apply to us. Are you kidding me? That's that old problem. But wouldn't that be nice? But I'm telling you folks, legalism is on the loose. And it's alive today more than we would like to give it credit. But let's take a time out. Before we dive in, let's take a little pit stop. And legalism is a big word with a lot of baggage. So I think it would be helpful for us to simplify it a bit. Okay, so here is an easy definition of legalism. Ready? Legalism equals following a set of rules so that we might earn God's favor. Or, it's working hard to make God pleased with you. It's the practice of adding rules to the gospel because we don't truly believe that the gospel is enough. Call it legalism, call it doing good works, call it adding to the gospel. But here's the thing, guys. For us today, we're just going to call it rule following. Okay, so that's, we're going to use from here on out is the term rule following. Because I think it helps us get to the bottom of what God wants us to see about legalism and his word. So again, rule following equals following a set of rules to make God accept you and love you more. Now when we talk about rule following and legalism, we think about it solely related to salvation. Like a legalist trying to earn their salvation, you know, trying to make themselves worthy of God so that you know, God can at the end can say, welcome into heaven. You know, you worked hard to get here. And remember, we learned two weeks ago from Matt that that's not the case for us. We are justified because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of his work in our life. We are made righteous because his righteousness and his obedience is ours. And that's a beautiful truth, amen? It's because of God's grace. And the Bible is very clear on this issue with verses like Romans 3.28. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or Ephesians 2.8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that any man can boast. These teach that our salvation is through faith alone, by grace alone. So let's bring it back to, to rule following. We, we kind of see these legalists and these people, these rule followers trying to earn their salvation. We say, oh, that's not us. But here's the problem. We read these passages about God's grace and his faith. And if you're anything like me, 
You let it stop there. You let it stop at salvation. You accept the free gift of, free gift of grace, but struggle to carry that grace through life. See, we understand that you can't earn your salvation. I get it. I can't earn it. Thank you, Lord, for the gift. We get that Jesus died in our place. We get that through him we are justified. We get that Jesus obeyed the law perfectly and his obedience is our obedience. We get it. We get it. But do we really? It's like I get saved and I look at God and I go, all right, cough up the reins. All right, come on, I got it from here. I know you saved me one time, but now I'm going to work hard to try to prove to you that I was worth it all along. You know, at the beginning I got saved and yeah, okay, thank you Lord, now I'm seen as holy and righteous, but now I'm going to, I'm going to work so hard so that you don't have to ever say, shoot, I should never have saved that guy. Oh, man, he's such a mess up. And so we start adding these things and we start working so hard. See, rule following has as much to do with us after we are saved as it does before. Because if we are not working to achieve salvation, then we sure are working to maintain it. We love to believe the lie that we need to work to please God and that rule following is what we need to make God love us more and reject us less. And we also watch our neighbors and love to judge them for their lack of work. See, the problem is if we have an unright view of God, if we have a tainted view of God as this guy just trying to wallop us, if we step out of line looking to whip us back into shape, this father we got to try to please because he's, uh, he's always angry at me. And the problem is we start viewing others that way too and we start judging them Oh. Well, it's obvious you're not, oh, you're not living the way you should. And we start putting that on other people as well. So it affects how we relate to God and it affects how we relate to others. It can show itself in a couple different ways. Maybe it's the small business owner who has a well-established business. He has worked hard for most of his professional life to build his business from the ground up to what it is today. And he's successful. But deep down in his heart, he knows that he has to make the numbers work, that he has to crunch, that he has to work late hours because you know what? I got to support my family. I got to keep this business going because if I don't, that, looks, that comes back on me. And if I don't do that, then there's no way I'm living as an honorable man. And, then, and how, can God not, how can God love somebody who's not honorable? So I have to work hard to prove to God that I'm worth it. So I work tirelessly hour after hour. I need to be a man who works hard so that I can be seen as a man of character and acceptable to God. Oh, okay, maybe it's the recovering Christian alcoholic. You've had a really tough situation in life. You understand brokenness and believe that if you don't get your act together, God is not truly going to love you. I have to work hard because a Christian shouldn't struggle with this. I, I, I've struggled with alcoholism for years. I'm saved. What am I doing? I have to work so hard because if I don't, God's going to reject me. He's not going to love me. And you know what? I can't even come to God. Because how, how could he accept me the way I am? Oh, okay, maybe it's the mom who believes that the way that her kids turn out directly reflects the way she is spiritually. Okay, so I'm working hard to raise my kids because if my kids turn out, then I'm a good mom. But if they don't turn out, okay, I'm a bad mom. And if I'm a bad mom, that means I'm a bad person. And if I'm a bad person, how can God love me? 
So I have to work so hard at raising my kids. Oh no, they, they're in the principal's office. Oh no, they latched out at school. I, God's not going to love me because I'm failing as a mom. See all these subtle ways it creeps in? Or maybe it's through subtle judgment. These judgmental thoughts. Did you hear about the Jones family? I hear they have a glass of wine with every meal. It's obvious they're not saved. I mean, come on, there's kids there. Come on, it's obvious that they are more into the spirits than they are the Holy Spirit. Jeez. (laughs) Or what about that young couple? They told me they were committed to church. They said, oh, yeah, I'll come to church. But they haven't been here in four weeks. I mean, what kind of a Christian does that? I haven't missed a service in seven years. I mean, it's obvious they're not committed here. I mean, come on. But they need to get their act together. I don't think they're really saved. They don't understand. Or or, what? They vote Democrat? (laughs) Oh, no. My my walls are falling in. Uh, Our lives are full of places where we add little rules in order to please God and judge those who don't. It's a constant cycle. Adding rules to our faith adds something that God never intended to be there. Rules. A works-based life of constantly trying to please God. We want to have control, so we grasp for anything that we can do to please God. Okay, God, I just, I, I just want to work so hard for you, and I want to prove that I'm worth it. It's a tiring reality that has captured so many of us. But if you're like me, and you're feeling trapped sometimes, you might ask this question. How do I live a life free of rules that represents God's best for me? How do I live a life for Christ without being a rule follower and struggling with legalism? Charlie, I get it. I see all these places and it's hard to know how to get out of it. How do I live for God but not fall into rule following? Great questions. And they are the same questions that Jesus deals with time and time again in his ministry. He's confronting people all the time that struggle separating rule following and God following. It was a common occurrence in his day. So let's take some time to look at a specific story in the Gospel of Matthew that will help help us answer this pressing question. Jesus and his disciples were no strangers to rule following and legalism. They were no strangers to being bombarded with accusations and demeaning words by the most famous rule followers around, the Pharisees. These guys were ruthless. They were basically these legalistic dudes who had a lot of power and they would just walk around and yell at people that didn't follow their rules. They set so many boundaries in their life and they held themselves to an unrealistic standard as well as everyone else around them. Not to mention they were really noisy and really annoying. They spent countless hours following and spying on Jesus and his disciples. So much of their energy was wasted trying to catch Jesus in a sin or breaking the Sabbath or breaking a law. And, and they constantly were spying on him. And he's like some legalistic religious paparazzi just following Jesus around everywhere trying to catch him in some act. It's kind of hard to do when the guy you're following is perfect. So let's join Jesus on one of his journeys as he travels from a town, from town to town, preaching and performing miracles. 
So please, please turn with me to Matthew 12. And if you don't have a copy of the Bible, we would love to get one in your hands. If you go back out in the hall in the connection corner, we have Bibles there. We'll also have the scripture up on the screen. And if you don't own a Bible, please take it home with you. We would love for you to have a copy of your own. So again, we're going to be in uh, Matthew 12. And we're going to see a crazy story where these Pharisees are at it again, trying to trap Jesus and his disciples. So again, Matthew 12, and we'll be starting with verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Here we go. Welcome to the annoyance that is the Pharisees. Like I said earlier, these guys were ruthless. They spent so much of their time following and spying on Jesus and his disciples, I can't imagine how they must have felt. Here they are walking along, picking food like any hungry, hungry hippo, I mean any hungry, hungry person would do. And they're, and they're grabbing the, field, the grain. You know, when I first studied this, I thought to myself, well, maybe they were stealing because they're picking the grain. But actually, when you look back in Deuteronomy, God was very clear in the law. He said, you farmers out there, I'm paraphrasing here, basically leave a chunk of land, leave some of your land with the grain still standing so that when travelers come through, they'll have something to eat. So it was basically like God setting up a, wel a welfare program even way back in, in the Old Testament times. So these travelers were coming through that have something to eat. So fast forward now, these people are still living under that same law right now, and they're picking, and they're, they're eating as they're going. So the Pharisees are not accusing them of stealing. They are accusing them of breaking the Sabbath. They meander over to Jesus and point back to his disciples. Look, Jesus, look, they're at it again. They're breaking the Sabbath. Huh? Look. A true believer would never do that. I can't imagine doing something like that. Hmm. Well, what about this? Uh, hey, look, Jesus, look. A true Christian never misses a church service. Oh, true. hey, Jesus, a true Christian uh, reads his Bible every day. Boycotts Harry Potter. <laughs> Listens to Christian music. Wears a tie when he preaches. Look, Jesus, look. Like the Pharisees, we so often set rules and expect others to do the same. We set markers in our lives. I set markers in my life that I use to gauge how close I am to reaching God. And if you're like me, you either spend time judging others who don't meet those standards or judging yourself. Man, my darkest moments, I judge myself so harshly. Charlie, aren't you saved? Aren't you a Christian? How can God be pleased with you? Because you're messing up again. You're messing up again. The Pharisees were so bogged down, so consumed with rule following, that they became spiritually useless. The energy they put in, 
It was incredible. See, what happens is when we add rules, we realize that those rules aren't good enough. So we have to add more rules and more things to try to make, fill the void of those rules because if I don't do that, then I'm going to be possibly missing something. And, and so we just keep adding layer after layer, trying to, to piece together what it means to be a, a man or woman of God because we think that pleasing him is what we need to get there. And we're so tired all the time. Some of you might know I love backpacking. It is one of my absolutely favorite things to do. I've gone on the Appalachian Trail a couple times, uh, a couple other wilderness areas. I absolutely love the backcountry. And actually, I actually have some of my gear here with me. This right here is my trusty, my trusty backpack. Um, it's been all over with me. I absolutely love this thing. And um, let me put it on here. What I love about backpacking Got all these clips and stuff, so there we go. All right, what I love about backpacking is that it's all about you and nature, you and the wilderness. So everything you need, you carry in your pack, and it's all about the good boots you wear, the gear you carry, and the hard work you put in. So I got my food, I got my sleeping stuff, I got my tent, I got everything I need back here. Not only that, but I prep before the trip so that I can hike efficiently, but no matter how hard I try, I get to the trail and it's always hard and I always have to push and fight and I might kind of limp or be really sore in the knee by the time I get to camp. But it's so much fun. And it's hard work and I push. And I push all the time. But see, unfortunately, this is how we view our spiritual life often. And this is how the Pharisees viewed it. If reaching God equals reaching the top of a mountain then the backpack represents the rules I had to try to get there. If I, if I just had more gear and climbed harder and faster and pushed longer, I would finally reach God. You're up there, Father, I can see you, and I have to work hard to get there, so I got my boots strapped tight, and I got to start hiking towards you. So we start adding more rules because we realize our equipment isn't enough. So let's start. This represents reading the Bible and praying. Okay, all right, I'm going to start on my journey. Okay, this is not enough. I'm going to have to add more. So, uh, okay, so maybe if I go on a mission trip every year, I'll be a, truly a holy person. So, uh, okay, all right, so I'm going to go on a mission trip every year, Lord, and, and surely I'll be more equipped for you. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, see that Smith family? Uh, they watch R-rated movies. That's not holy. Okay, all right. So no R-rated movies, okay. I'm going to add this. All right, okay. So uh, if, if, I, um, if I don't, uh, let's see, if I don't quit this, uh, this, this struggle with being anxious all the time, I have so much anxiety. Yeah, yeah, okay. I got to quit being anxious, okay. Let me throw this on here, okay. All right, so here, okay, now I'm ready to go. So we're all packed up and we got all these rules we've added and we, we start hiking. But what we realize as we start hiking that it's just really heavy and really hard to move. And not only that, but God just seems so much further away than I thought. Wait a minute, he's way up there and he's getting further away. And the harder I push, the harder it gets and more treacherous and further away he is. And God, why are you so far away? Because we have these rules and I have to add more rules to fill in the, the holes where the other rules don't work. And I, and I have, I'm so bogged down. Guys, isn't that us? We try so hard to please God and we push. Charlie, just push. Work hard and you'll, you'll get there. 
This was the Pharisees too. They struggled with adding rules. They were men who were lost in religion. See, we view God as his rule giver. This guy up top who's just, you know what, son, you better not get out of line. If you get out of line, I'm going to whip you back into shape. We see him as his rule giver, this law enforcer, who only desires his people to stay in line. You better not get out of line. And here's how we view God. We bought into this lie. See, the Pharisees, they confronted Jesus to judge and accuse his disciples of breaking the rules they established. They judged the disciples not based off the Bible, but their rules. They completely ignored the needs of the disciples who were hungry and just went straight to Jesus. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? They're breaking the laws. And as usual, Jesus' response is just plain brilliant. He turns his attention, their attention, to two superheroes from the past, King David and the priests. Take a look at verse 3 through 5, verses 3 through 5. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrated the Sabbath and yet are innocent? Jesus did the absolute best thing that he could have done. He used the Jewish scriptures, the Pharisees' scriptures, to totally debunk their claims. He's using these these passages to show that from the beginning of time, God has not been all about these rules, but relationship. And he's more concerned with people than he is rules. The first reference comes from 1 Samuel 21, and it is a story in which David and his men were being chased by Saul, and they entered the, this temple. So they were on the run from Saul. They were really tired, really beaten down. So they come busting into the temple, and they they're looking for food, and they say, listen, we, we, we need some food. We're really hungry, and uh, you got anything? And he says, uh, all we have is this really like this holy bread, the bread of the presence, they call it, and uh, um, so I guess you can have it. And, and, and David says, yeah, please give it to me. I'm hungry. It's a time of need. So he takes it, and he eats it. But here's the interesting thing. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that David sinned. Nowhere. He was without fault. Nowhere does it mention that he sinned. Likewise, Jesus references the priests who worked tirelessly on the Sabbath, stoking the fires, cleaning the, cleaning the floors, maybe some cobwebs, offering sacrifices. They're working, breaking a sweat on the Sabbath. Yet nowhere are they condemned. Nowhere. So what's Jesus doing here? Well, he's trapping the Pharisees. He's saying, listen here, you rule followers. If you're going to judge my disciples, you got to judge David too. That king you love and those priests you love in the temple, you got to judge them too. All right, I get it. You want to judge my disciples? Okay, I'm tracking with you. Go ahead then, accuse David. Oh, while you're at it, you know that king that you love so much? 
yeah, that, that King David you often idolize, go ahead, call him out. I'm listening, I'm waiting, go ahead. Oh, okay, no? Okay, well, surely the priests then. They work on the Sabbath all the time and then they're breaking a sweat. Go ahead, blame them for sin. Say that what they're doing is unlawful too. Trapped. Trapped, trapped, trapped. He has them right where he wants them. Because what are you going to say? I mean, that's a great argument. Jesus had them right where he wanted them. He's good at that since he's God. And guess what? The Pharisees were not about that life. We out of here. Ain't no way, ain't no how. But the crazy thing is that Jesus is doing something powerful. He's beginning to show the Pharisees that their legalistic claims and unrealistic accusations are not spiritually sound. They do not hold up to what the Bible says. See, when you open the word, we see that, that actually it doesn't match up to what the Pharisees originally said. He was revealing that maybe, just maybe, God is less concerned with the rules than the Pharisees originally thought. Maybe, just maybe. And maybe, just maybe, God is less concerned with the rules than we originally thought too. Jesus doesn't stop there, though. He doesn't give the Pharisees time to really react or answer his question. Instead, he continues by revealing that he is God. Let's read further in verse 6. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus continues to use scripture and culture to get his point across. He starts by first directly referencing the temple, the central place of the Jewish religious system. And he says something greater than the temple is here. Folks, spoiler alert, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. You see, if the temple represents all that was the Jewish religious system, then Jesus represents all that is grace and faith and love and mercy. And he's stepping in and saying something greater than the rules you've been trying to follow is here. The presence and the kingdom of God. We have access to God through Jesus, something the Jews did not have. But man, oh man, are we blind sometimes. This is me, I'm blind all the time. I'm so focused on my performance, I completely miss the one I am performing for. I'm following rules instead of following Jesus. I have a relationship with rules instead of with God himself. Jesus, the one greater than the Sabbath, he was God in the flesh right in front of them and they didn't even know. The Pharisees were so focused on the letter of the law and the extra rules they established that they were blind to God in the flesh right in front of them. They did not understand the scripture and so it was impossible for them to understand Jesus because he's in the scripture. It all comes back to having an understanding of the Bible. This is exactly why Jesus used the stories of David and the priests. He was showing them that they did not 
know their scriptures well enough to know him. But why was Jesus using these two examples specifically? I think he was trying to illustrate a key point. He could have used any story, Jonah, Noah, Abraham. Instead, he chooses to use these two examples. And I think it ties back into the quote, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. They all point to an important biblical truth that God has always been more concerned with us knowing him than he is with keeping his law. God wants us, not our rules. See, Jesus uses this well-known passage, that quote, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, is actually from the book of Hosea. And he's using it to accuse them of not understanding Scripture. He would have, they would have understood God's heart from the beginning had they understood Scripture. Take a look. It'll be up on the screen. Hosea 6, 4 through 6. O oh, Israel and Judah, what should I do with you, asked the Lord, for you lo- your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew in the sunlight. I set my prophets to cut you to pieces, to slaughter you with my words, with judgments as inescapable as light. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices, I want you to know me more than than I want burnt offerings. Guys, this is huge. God did not create us merely as rule followers. He created us so we could love and relate to him. See, loving God and knowing God has always been greater than the law itself. Now back then the law was a means to get there, but you can't focus on the law and miss the whole point of it. That all along God is in the business of relationship. From the beginning of time, God has been in the business of relating to his people. And from the beginning of time, we have been working so hard to resist that. So not only was Jesus revealing the Pharisees' misunderstanding of Scripture, he was revealing their inability to see him as the promised Messiah. But it's all over the Bible, all over, New Testament, Old Testament, all over it. And if they only understood and only looked and knew, they would have known that Jesus was there. But like Hosea says, our love is so fleeting. God was right in front of them. And we allow ourselves to fall into rule following, make it in our own way, but it all comes back to a lack of understanding of God's word. The Pharisees were more concerned with following rules for the sake of rules, and they missed the Messiah. They actually believed that they knew the Sabbath laws Better than Jesus did. Do you think Jesus knew him? Uh, Yeah, he wrote him. He's God. He created it. And who gave the Pharisees the authority to lecture God on the rules of the Sabbath? And who gave us the authority to lecture God on the rules of our life? See, we're just like the Pharisees. We're no different. They didn't understand the Bible. Had they been students of the word, the story would have been very different. The same goes for us. Because the more we understand the Bible, the less we follow rules, and the more we follow Jesus. Easy enough, right? Because all of the Bible does is point to him. So it makes sense that the more we understand, the more we desire to follow Jesus, the Savior. So the best way to live a life free of rules is to be a student of the Bible. The more we understand the Bible, 
the less we follow rules and the more we follow Jesus. Again, one more time. The more we understand the Bible, the less we follow rules and the more we follow Jesus. So search the Bible for the answers to your biggest questions and fulfillment to your deepest longings. Ponder the truths of God. And when you do, you'll discover that God has always wanted us to know him. And we learn that following God and following Jesus is about getting to know him, not trying to please him. Not trying to please him. So here we are. We're back on our journey. And I uh, got all my gear on here. I'm just going to throw it all on for you. <clears throat> and we're still working hard to please God. Except this time, now that you're caught up and I'm back here, it's gotten a lot harder and God seems so much more further away. And now I have a limp and I'm dragging my leg and I'm working so hard and, and God, you just got to push. Uh, I just got to push, God. I got to push to reach you. And, and, and if I don't, I won't reach you. And I, I don't think you're pleased with me. And I got to get in line. And, and I'm working so hard for your favor. I have blisters on my feet. It goes on and on and on and on and on. But here's the beauty of knowing the Bible. And here's where it comes in. It is when we are spiritually backpacking that his word comes alive. I'm working hard, hour after hour. Work harder, Charlie. Push harder, Charlie. You can do it, Charlie. Come on. That Smith family, uh, they watch already movies. It's obviously I'm more spiritually mature than them. Uh, um, put away that pride that binds you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Matthew 7, 3. Okay, but, but my kids don't turn out right. I'm a failure. And, and how can I love, how can God love a failure? And it, Jesus cares for you. You are worth it. Call, cast all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Okay, but I can't seem to shake this alcoholic addiction. I've been working so hard and Jesus is our high priest who understands our weakness. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Hebrews 4. I have a small business and I'm working so hard to make God proud of me. I want him to love me. I want to be worthy. You are worthy because I say you're worthy. I call you son. I am your father. Romans 8, 15. See, as we begin to flood our hearts with God's word and truly look at the scriptures, we start to lose the things that hold us down. The rules that once bound us to legalism become distant memories. When we understand the Bible, we understand God's heart and our gear slowly starts falling off until finally we're left here standing free, so climbing towards God. But wait a minute. That mountain doesn't seem so high. Oh yeah, you look at it. It's, it's not even up there anymore. It seems so much more, more climbable and it's getting easier. Actually, the, there's hardly a mountain. Wait a minute. There's no mountain at all. What, what, where am I? There's one more peak. Where's the climb? What's going on? I'm not carrying any more stuff. The mountain is gone. And it's here we realize, guys, that Jesus has been right here all along. We have had to climb to him. He's been right here. Right beside me. He's right here and he has a smile on his face. 
Here we are left totally exposed, totally naked. No rules, no shortcomings, no judgments, no ways we're trying to please God to weigh us down. Here we are with no more performances to hide behind. And we can truly stop following rules and start following Jesus because the truth of God's word frees us to do just that. His word frees us. Take a look at John 5, 39 through 40. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Guess what you do, guys? There is eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is right here, right now, offering life. But guess what? It's not just a one-time life. It's a daily life. He gives us life daily, a daily breath. God's word is all about discovering Jesus every minute of every day in new ways. To put it frankly, we can't control how God views us. He sees us as precious and lovely whether you like it or not. Because here's what we realize when we grow in our faith. The mountains we have to climb and the gear we have to to follow, those rules, they're all things we've made up. They're all things we've created. And we strip them away, we realize that Jesus has been right here, right beside us, full of grace, saying, listen, I, I know you're a mess, but I don't love you any less. In fact, I want in. I want to be with you. I want to help you through that. Because you know what? There once was a mountain between us and God. He was unreachable at one time. But Jesus, full of grace and mercy, came down that mountain to meet us where we are. And guess what? He is still in the business of meeting us where we are. The Bible is clear no matter the mess, Jesus wants in. He's saying, let's do this together, guys. Stop trying to please me. I can't be any more pleased with you. He's saying, well done, my son. Well done, my daughter. I'm so proud of you. I always have been, and I always will be. Matthew 11, 28 and 29, 28 through 30 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Again, I'm going to read that last part. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Friends, we don't need to climb towards God. He is right here. Let's pray. God, thank you for being here. Jesus, thank you for being next to us, for wanting to work on this mess with with you. You love us so much, and there's grace every day. We don't have to work to please you, Father, because you are so pleased with us. So I pray that we can revel in that freedom, that we can live for you with new abandon, because we know that We don't have to do it alone because you're here with us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides us. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. And Father, thank you for loving us and accepting us the way we are. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.